Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. I'm your host, John Fury, joined by our all-star cast. Adam Belmar is the B. John Easton is the E. This is our first podcast since Thanksgiving. We at EFB have much to be thankful for. Uh, our friend, friends, our family, our clients, and you, our loyal listeners. So thank you for sticking with us. Uh, the holiday season is upon us. Are you guys excited about the holiday season? Very excited. Most excited. Hanukkah couldn't come fast enough for me. When is Hanukkah? In December. When, when in December do you know? It's coming up. It's, it's like a whole swath of dates. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Hanukkah is uh, coming upon us. Get ready to give all those. How many? How many? Seven days of Hanukkah? No, we're, but we bought an extra one this year. Oh, eight, eight, eight days. Eight okay, days. great. And uh, so the holidays. Job. The holiday seasons are, are getting. The holiday parties are getting booked. Eggnog is becoming a thing again, especially eggnog lattes. Do you guys like eggnog? A little sweet for me, John. Do you like eggnog? I like regular nog. <laughs> I'm not a big eggnog guy. We were watching, my daughter and I were watching this holiday bake-off show the other day, and it was how to make eggnog cake. Have you ever had eggnog cake? No. No. I haven't either. It was, it was kind of a fun show, though. Uh, Molly's six, and she likes watching baking shows. Which, anyway, uh, which was fun for the holidays. Um, you know, it's cold here on the East Coast. Uh, Thanksgiving was actually really chilly. But I think that's what you have to expect um, in this era of China, climate change. We do have, you know, cold Decembers, and December's upon us, right? Um. <clears throat> I, I, I want to be serious when it comes to climate change um, and the report, which I've read a little bit about. But I will just say that uh, it has been <clears throat> more – it has been colder than typically we have here recently. I, I, I made a big mistake by walking around without a coat on two days ago, and I froze my butt off. Well, it was ridiculously cold that day. Well, I mean, it's the end of November. Right. I, I mean, it's, it's you know, the cold. thing about uh, the climate – you know, in Washington D.C., is in the winter it gets a little colder. In the summer, well, it starts to get it gets mild, a little right? warmer. You're, you're from where it really that, gets cold. Well, no, nah, it doesn't get that cold in it Oregon. Doesn't? No, I mean Eastern Oregon, it does. But um, and true there as well. You know, in the in the winter it rains a little bit more and it gets a little colder, and then the summer it gets a little warmer. So I, I mean, that to me is. I guess but, a change of climate. If it's sub-freezing with the windshields in November, that's that's mighty cold. So, John, tell us a little bit about Thanksgiving for you. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Was it fun? For you? you had people come in. You had a nice nice time. Such a nice time. Had um, <clears throat> friends come in from Spokane, Washington, and th- with their family, and we had them. Uh, it was just a wonderful time. We played some football right in front of the Capitol on the grass in front of the Capitol. It was a Washington Thanksgiving. That's, uh, that's the best ever. Uh, Adam, I, I, I saw some pictures. You had a special guest at your Thanksgiving. We did. Uh, we had uh, the EFB mascot, uh, Clark Kent, the Wonder Dog, who joined the Belmars for Thanksgiving while his uh, normal family, the Furies, were uh, taking wing to warmer climes. And we had a great time together. And you were in warmer zones. We were in Florida. Florida was uh, spectacular. The weather was uh, really good, 75. I got a little tan because of it. You sure did. And so that's why I look so good right now. Um, Anyway, so we're going to get to the theories because that's what you're really here for. Theory one, Trump Towers. Uh, Maybe Trump Towers are falling down, falling down, falling down. Um, You know, the president is on his way to the G20 summit. In Argentina, don't cry for me, Argentina. As he goes down there, uh, the 
special counsel, Robert Mueller, is tightening the noose around many FODs, friends of Donald, um, including the uh, ex Michael Cohen, who is his ex attorney. Uh, Robert uh, Paul Manafort has been uh, thrown back in solitary <coughs> confinement. Um, you can really see the the special uh, investigator really tightening the screws. We have leaks now that uh, one of Michael Cohen's revelations that Donald Trump did want to build a really big building in Moscow, or how do you say Moscow? Moscow. Moscow. All right. Well, that um, my theory on this is who cares? We all knew that Donald Trump was going to try to build try to build buildings in Moscow, Moscow. And he didn't. That's no big deal. Uh, but this is, seems to be a big deal, Adam, uh, for the Washington press. Do you think that Donald Trump will ultimately get impeached for this? Well, I love the way you put the fine point on it. Do I find? Do I think that he, that Donald Trump will ultimately be impeached for this? Yes. No. 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 But mostly because um, lying to the press and people in general is, well, really very bad practice and a show of low morality it's not illegal it doesn't rise to the to the element of high crimes and misdemeanors so no i don't think he's going to be impeached for it but i also still think that whatever portion of the iceberg we're seeing of the Mueller investigation john it uh, is still largely shrouded uh, in darkness and so i continue to wait i will admit that a lot of the things that we've been hearing and seeing and reading about are a not surprising to me but also disconcerting and uh i think the president's got a big problem he's got a real big credibility problem right now and and, uh, on top of other things he needs to figure out a way over time to either rehabilitate himself or deal with the consequences so john easton the president goes down electorally electorally yeah well we'll talk about that in a second but he goes down to argentina he's trying to get a deal uh with the chinese to end this trade war and he's trying to talk to other countries uh about other trade and economic security issues uh they're dealing with brexit down there um and all of a sudden Mueller does all this leaking and really kind of weakening his hand um do you think that's appropriate? Do you think it's just Mueller's just going to do what Mueller's going to do no matter what? And and do you think that that's just kind of the wheels of justice kind of keep turning? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I, I know a lot of people are very suspicious of, of Bob Mueller and his motives and his tactics. I honestly don't. I don't. I don't subscribe to that. I, I think he's going to put out there what he's going to put out there. I think he's kind of a, a generally a, a straight shooter. Uh, but I, I don't think that this is going to have a lot of impact on on uh, already he on the on the trade trip to Argentina. I already he's canceled a meeting with Vladimir Putin. Smart move. Uh, I think that was a no brainer to cancel right. that after the Ukraine situation, which was pretty bad. But um, let's face it, something is going to happen at this summit with Donald Trump. That's going to be very newsy, and that's going to dominate cable news and the rest for, what, 24 hours or 40 hours. I mean, it's, it's going to be some slight against some leader and some break of protocol. Right. And we're going to be talking about it for a while, and then it's going to go away, and it'll, it'll certainly take Mueller's headlines away. Um, it's just we have to buckle up and wait and see what happens. Uh, there was, wasn't a particularly good election uh, for the president. Uh, apparently he's really angry all the time. Is it good? You've worked for a president. Is it good to be angry all the time if you're the president? 
I would know. Uh, I would assume not, but I was going to say I would know because the president that I served was not an angry human. He was a, <clears throat> a very optimistic, positive, results-oriented, and driven human. Um, he was up early and at it every single day, and every time I was around George W. Bush, he buoyed me with his... Uh, with his seriousness, you know, he, he knew how to have fun. He knew how to be a little bit silly as well. But uh, I, I just admired that man so much, uh, regardless of the, of the troubles that we may have gotten into during that administration. I, I looked up to him so much, and I don't see that being the case among the White House staff. So when you think about what's going on at the G20 uh, and the jam-packed schedule they have down there with, you know, bilats turning into trilats because they don't have enough time to sort of facilitate all the things because the president wants to get back to the White House. Um, I think about the things, John, that are left undone after the election in terms of housekeeping, right? He needs a new ambassador to the United Nations. He may probably need a new chief of staff. We've got an issue with a... Uh, uh, <clears throat> temporary attorney general, which is part and parcel of a whole lot of issues. And then just this week, uh, the United States Senate has grown a pair and decided to push the, the prep back on some of the president's nominees to the federal bench. So the president's got a lot of things uh, to deal with right now, and not any of them feel really good on the housekeeping side. So, John Eason, going back to my original theory, the president campaigned, everyone kind of knew that he was kind of unusually close to Vladimir Putin. I mean, it was kind of an issue during the campaign. Um, he kind of, during the campaign, he said to uh, the the Russians, if you have Hillary's emails, let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he openly praised Julian Assange. Um, and now it seems like, and all that was kind of way out there. I mean, we yeah. if, you're, if you're a Manchurian candidate, which is a great, great book, great, great movie, I mean, the whole thought there is that you know, this is a, the Manchurian candidate was a secret spy mm-hmm. that was kind of under someone's spell, and then he boom, he becomes you know a Russian um, convert. There's something secret about Donald Trump in this campaign. He, he kind of did all this stuff; it was way out there. Um, at the end, ultimately, do you think that this this kind of dalliance that that Trump had with the Russians is going to be his doom? No, as long as he um, treats. These situations like this this dust up in Ukraine, he treats it with dead seriousness and an appropriate strategy and tactics. Uh, I think it is getting obviously everybody's saying you know that Russia is, is testing us. You know Putin is testing our resolve, and which I mean he does time and time again. It's really something to to, to watch. But I think that he's got credibility left with 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 the whole Putin Russia situation. I, I think Americans in general would like a decent relationship with the Russians. Right. So they'd like a decent relationship between the two leaders of these countries, United States and Russia. But if he has to deal with this Ukraine conflict uh, the right way or else he is going to unravel that credibility very fast. Uh, and so we'll see what, what happens. You know, canceling a meeting was, is one thing, but I think he needs to go a step beyond. I think he needs to, to send more arms, more resources to Ukraine and, and show that, you know, we've got one ally in this situation, and that's Ukraine. And you think about um, Paul Manafort, who was knee-deep in the Ukraine, uh, but on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the thing that I think you're absolutely right, that Trump's got to show that we're not on the Manafort side, uh, that Manafort 
what he was doing had nothing to do with the Trump campaign. Uh, and John and Adam, I, I want you to kind of both weigh in. This election was was troubling for the president. It, it should have been. Um, he did pretty well in the Senate, um, but he did poorly in the suburbs, and he didn't do that well in the states that he won. Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, didn't do that well. We did fine in Ohio, but Pennsylvania was a, a disaster for Republicans. I mean, what do you think the president needs to do right now to strengthen him, his kind of narrative uh, as he's going into the election? And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it's it's not necessarily about Trump. It's about who he runs against. I don't know if that's true because Trump's ratings have not really gone up that much since he's been president. Right. Well, I think, number one, I think the president needs to be honest with himself and realistic about what happened uh, during this midterm election. I think his likely his campaign team is quite realistic and quite, quite professional about uh, they look, they see the numbers, they see the results, they see what happened in different states, and they know how to read, read those, um, the, those leaves. But the president himself, I mean, he, de- he, he decides what, 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 was, what was good, what was bad, and if he doesn't think something was bad, then it wasn't bad. Right. And so anyway, I mean, I think that just take a look at a couple of states, and, and you can learn so much from them. Look at, look at Maryland. Okay. Larry Hogan. Now, granted, I mean, this is, a, this is a different kind of politician. He's in a blue state, and he, he really, really knows how to campaign in that state and a, appeal to independents and, and uh, some soft Democrats. But look what Larry Hogan did. You, you know, it comes out at, on the postmortem of that race that he, he had a focus group of 110 women throughout the campaign. And he consult, his team consulted with these women. These were unaffiliated and Democratic women. Mm-hmm. See how they, they were reacting to advertising. See how they react, their attitudes, how their attitudes were changing throughout the election with regard to advertising or other uh, forces, it was it was brilliant in that that, that was a, an a incredibly important constituency for him to win the election, and and he they paid laser focus attention on it. He won women in Maryland fifty to forty eight. So I would say you know do something along those lines, and also the kind of is, issues you know he needs to have a couple of good issues, you know the the criminal justice reform. Very good issue. He's out front on that right now. Those kinds of things. Consider doing an over-the-counter uh, 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 birth control bill, like like the garden, the uh, Senator Gardner's bill. I mean, do something a little counterintuitive. You've got plenty of of uh, credibility in the bank with the pro-life community. You can do something like that. And it's all about kind of those suburban women, Republicans in general, but also independents, uh, trying to do things that don't scare them. And for for crying out loud, stay away from these the, these radioactive, like these hornet's nests issues that, that involve race, you know, whether it's sort of a white, generated by a white supremacist flare-up, or the border. You know, know how to talk about that so you don't just shoot yourself in the foot over and over and over again because you are turning off the voters you need the most when you go down that road, and we see he's very capable of doing that. And if he can't rein that in, and he can't capitalize on issues that are important to those the, the suburban constituencies, he could very well lose his race. Um, that's a perfect segue to my next theory, and Adam, we can take this up uh, in the next theory. Theory two, Madam Speaker. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is not a big fan of mine. I'm not a huge fan of hers, although she's got a lot of great staff uh, who I like very much. 
Um, she deserves to be the next speaker. Uh, she worked hard for it. She um, she raised the money. She did the strategy. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with the strategy. I certainly don't agree with her uh, politics. But she um, worked really hard. And if the Democrats somehow tried to derail her move to be speaker, I think it would be a tremendous mistake for the institution and for uh, the Democrats. Not that I tend to give a lot of advice to Democrats. Uh, John Easton, talking about Nancy Pelosi, she will be speaker, right? Yeah, she'll be speaker. Um, I mean, I think there's this this group that uh, is is fairly well-defined, but I just think, you know, she, Pelosi is doing what she does best, and that is um, she is she's has her coalition. She's growing it. She's growing it. She's taking um, opposition pieces off the board, and and what's going to be left are I think just a, 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 an insignificant few who are going to block her. So yes, I think I think she's fine. And I think she does deserve it as well. My question is, um, in a way, why would you really want this sequel that she is about to get uh, her speakership? Because I think. Pelosi 2.0 is going to be far different than Pelosi 1.0. And 1.0, she was a very effective speaker that kind of ruled with an iron fist. Um, she had the resources she needed to really get stuff done. I think she had the loyalty of the committee chair, chairman. Um, this time around, I think you've got a couple of Bernie Sanders juniors around, really want to make it you know, like the, the new congresswoman from New York, Alexandra Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. And like her, who has already done a sit-in outside of her office on climate change, she is going to get more and more and more of that type of tactic around her. And, and, and it's a presidential year, 2020, and therefore the left is going to get even more energy and there's going to be more push on her. I think it's going to be a miserable speakership for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Adam Belmar, thinking about her, she's got two years, um, she's got plenty of seats that are in Trump territory that she has to defend. Um, she is older. She's about 78 years old. She's got a lot of energy. No, 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 no question about that. Her leadership team is the same age range. Uh, they, they, they nominated and elected as their conference chair, Hakeem Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries, who's a lot younger. Um, but the class that's coming in is incredibly diverse, incredibly rambunctious, incredibly ambitious, and incredibly young. Um, so how do you think she's going to handle all this? Well, you know, <clears throat> just today, uh, as we're taping the Fury Theory, uh, the Democrats have rolled out their first piece of legislation for the new Congress, H.R. 1, and they did it in a press conference that brought the class of 2018 and all of its diversity from the first Muslim American woman serving to all of the ethnic diversity and the women which uh, really bolster uh, this new class of legislators together and uh, John Sarbanes from Maryland is sort of leading the charge on the for the people agenda. It's the Democrats' contract with America, if you will, for one. Pretty light, pretty light contract with America. It absolutely is. I got one and, thing. and I, uh, <clears throat> I feel to answer your question that uh, 
that John said it perfectly well. She, he, she's going to have a hell of a difficult time. Um, I don't subscribe to this idea that she deserves anything. Um, but I do also think that for the Republicans and the president in particular, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. So whatever they need to do to make sure that she's the, the leader as hard a time as she's going to have is a good thing because uh, it's, 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 it's a little bit... Uh, it's a little bit easier to, to work against a known entity than um, and let them cannibalize themselves. And I think that's what you're alluding to. I, I um, wrote a piece uh, for The Hill this past week talking about the five reasons why I supported Pelosi for, for speaker. One of the things I said was um, she's mature enough to be able to cut deals. And John Easton, talking about the relationship between uh, Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump, they are largely the same age range. She's a little bit older. Uh, she went to Trump Tower several times to do fundraisers with Donald. They know each other pretty well. Uh, there's a really that the story in the New York Times is really interesting about their potential relationship. Do you think that she's going to cut deals that help her majority, but also potentially help Trump get reelected? I do think that she is savvy enough to understand uh, what issues to tackle and and what issues to stay away from, at least for now, to try to help her majority, such as impeachment. I mean, I I think that uh, I think she and uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have wisely just kind of backed off talk of of impeachment. I do think that, you know, something like that is a bit of a killer if you're just you're not even starting in your majority yet. That's January, of course. So to Trump, I, I think that she's going to be under enormous pressure from the left, which is going to be an energized left in a, in a presidential election cycle, um, that she um, not compromise with this guy. I mean, the left doesn't want any compromising with this president on anything they want to do, especially for re-election. He's up for re-election, so to, to compromise is to give him a victory. Right. So I, I don't... That's one of the reasons why I think it's going to be a challenging time for her, and I don't think she's going to do much compromising. Can I, I just say that <clears throat> the point you just made is why I feel that I disagree with the Hogan analogy that you made earlier, John Easton, because I feel like, and it, it makes a lot of sense from a political perspective and how it worked for, for Governor Hogan, um, but I really think that the president... Uh, must double down or triple down or quadruple down on promises made, promises kept, and he's got to build the wall. He's got to go and do the rest of the things that he said he was going to do. He's got to be merciless, and I think that uh, that up that includes um, a shutdown in the next three weeks. I would not be surprised. Let's park the shutdown. We're talking about that in the next segment. Well, I feel like I'm out of step with the whole show then. <laughs> Let me say, um, John. To your point, I think you're right. I think it's going to be very difficult for these guys to cut deals. Um, that being said, um, there are certain areas where the president is so unpredictable. Um, for example, what areas is he predictable? Well, but for Republicans especially, uh, even this 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 criminal justice reform thing, a lot of conservatives don't like that bill. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important bill. I think that they need to do it, uh, but. Uh, Tom Cotton and apparently Senator McConnell are not really big fans of it. Um, but that that the right is going to be very nervous on stuff like that. Drug pricing. You know that the president is every day he wakes up and 
talks to his HHS guy and says, we need to do something about drug pricing. And he's almost ready to do something on on uh, whatever the Democrats come up with. The Democrats kind of like that, his bill. Uh, third thing, uh, raising taxes on um, rich people. Trump has said that he's open to that. Uh, that makes conservatives very, very nervous. So what you're, you're going to have a situation here where the Democrats don't really want to cut a deal because they don't want to give president a victory, and the conservatives don't want to cut a deal with, for the president because they don't want to betray any of their conservative principles. Um, so this is going to be a tough one for the dealmaker. Can the dealmaker make deals? Uh, he hasn't proven really yet that – I think he can make deals, but he hasn't proven yet that he really will – you know, on a big, big issue, um, you know, cut the deal. I mean, the the tax bill, he, you know, obviously his biggest victory was a purely partisan exercise. Right. The thing that he came out, which I think was, if, if, if anybody watched that, well, a lot of you watched, I know, like we did, the, um, in the cabinet room, I think it was the cabinet room, the immigration meeting right. with the Republicans and Democrats of, from Capitol Hill in the room, like the major players. And remember him saying just, you send me something, I'll sign it, kind of thing. And, and people freaked out. It, We're going back to seventeen because this was, it was great. I love that. You're so right. It was a great. It was great TV. It was a great political theater. And and actually, I thought it was. I know a lot of those on the you know hard line immigration side of the, things were scared to death. But I was like, okay, God, we might actually be able to get something done on this thing. You know, the truth is, and he just and he just completely caved and backed off because they did send him something yeah well yeah no and he he's caved on signing um you know spending bills that uh, undercut his ability to build the wall that he campaigned on and that he hasn't built he is being look i won't go any further on that line but i will say this the president has proven that the one place that he can be relied upon to make a deal or cut a deal is on trade issues. We see just this week the new USMCA, the 2.0 of NAFTA. This is something big. He did make that happen. And he's trying to do the same thing in this trade war with China. Those are unilateral moves, essentially. They're executive-based moves. His ability to work and deal with Congress has been on a purely partisan basis heretofore. Well, the interesting thing about USMCA is it has a lot of provisions that Democrats and the unions should like, but they because they don't necessarily want to give the president a victory. They're not going to talk about it, right? They're not, either not going to talk about it or they're not going to vote for it. So it's a real interesting thing. We're going to get to our third theory. Well, that's just for clarification, that's a Senate issue, right? I mean, this ratification. No, it's, requir- it's, it's, both it's, it's both houses. Mm-hmm. It's both houses. Okay, guys, thanks you, for clarifying that. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, theory three, you are so lame. Lame-o, talking about the lame duck. I, when I was working for the speaker, I had two theories about lame ducks. They could either be nasty, brutish, or short, or nasty, brutish, and long. Um, and I didn't really like either one. Lame ducks are terrible because you got members who lost their elections, who are wandering around trying to find jobs, um, <laughs> usually competing with us. Uh, you got staff all kind of trying to find their jobs if their boss is lost. And you got the Christmas holidays, and people just don't really want to. Everybody's got somewhere else to be. Everyone's got somewhere else to be. That's especially the case when a chamber changes uh, control, mm-hmm. which is what we have right now. Uh, John Easton, will this lame duck be nasty, brutish, and short, or nasty, brutish, and long? Uh, I think it's going to be somewhere in between brutish 
I think that's guaranteed. It's always brutish, as you point out, as you head closer and closer to the holidays. But um, I think if, if you, you look at the House, then you see uh, a Nancy Pelosi, who is uh, – the prohibitive favorite she's going to be speaker and she doesn't want to do anything and i think that's wise because if she does go out on on a limb on something whether you know to compromise with uh leader mcconnell what have you it 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 could damage her in, in her votes for speaker right so i think she's going to just she'll be against everything she'll be against everything that's that's been what has been coming out of the house for a while now okay mitch mcconnell he wants to get out of here as well i think what he would really love to do is get an appropriations deal done a spending bill end of the year spending bill done and off the books and then um possibly a farm bill and but he well, wants to get and they out have town. the farm bill agreement they've reached an agreement on that so they're i think that's going to happen they have but as you know it takes a lot of work to actually get that vehicle onto the senate floor and you know with the votes and everybody signed off and uh it but and that's that's the problem is is you know is time on the floor of the senate it just takes so long if if not everybody agrees on the timeline it can take so long to get this stuff on the floor and get it get it voted upon final passage voted upon so i could see this going a lot of people are saying oh let's you know we'll go to the 14th of december actually i could see this going into around the 20th ish to really make staffers lives miserable adam belmar the big issue uh, you made, alluded to it was uh the border wall and uh spending money on the border wall um Chuck Schumer floated out a compromise. Either we uh, do the bill that we have uh, in the House and the Senate, which is small spending on the border, but will give us kind of a year-long, you know, uh, spending for everything else, or they just do a CR for the Homeland Security bill, and uh, everything else will get fully funded. Um, do you think the dynamics at the border right now hurt or help the Republicans or the Democrats? I think the dynamics of the border are clarifying the politics for the President of the United States. I am not saying that this is what he should do, but likely what he will do. He will be unabashed. He will be focused, and he will be irreverent. He will shut this government down in order to you know, stamp out the bad feelings he has about the election, knowing full well what he's going headlong into in the in January and saying, I will not be denied again. Here's the problem with shutting down the government is that 70 percent of the government has already been funded. So I love when the media starts talking. And I'm not saying you, but the media is talking about. Oh, you're, oh, you're talking about him. Maybe. Well, he, <laughs> you are, but we're also talking about. He is a little bit of media. But um, so. And, and, I, and I only raise that because I'm just not sure it carries the bite that it has in past yeah. years where the shutdown, we're going to shut down the government. Well, you're talking about 30% of the government, and a lot of it people would not even notice. So I don't know how much leverage that truly is in the end, and I don't think the media ever explains that. Well, as a, and I started my answer by saying that it clarifies the politics mm-hmm. because uh, I'm not sure what the truth on the border actually is. You know, part and parcel of this is the optics of tear gas and people storming fence lines and so forth. And you can debate that till you're blue in the face. But 
The president is just playing politics here, in my opinion. He's not really leading. And this is a political calculation where he doesn't care two wits whether anybody goes home for Christmas or not. So Adam, He'll be at Mar-a-Lago. Adam, I was promised, we were all promised by Jim Acosta that there'd be no one trying to scale the walls and getting over illegally. That there would be no kind of, the caravan wasn't going to come and storm our gates and there would be no tear gas. That's what Jim Acosta promised us. But what, yeah. what, what the heck's going on here? I mean, that's not that's not what Jim, happened. But Jim didn't promise that, and I'm not defending Jim. He did so. promise that. He said there would oh, be no one climbing the walls. No, he said that there were no. Uh, he said that basically that there were no uh, criminals. Well, he also said there'd be no no one climbing the walls. <laughs> so I, my point is this: is the politics plays both ways. Yeah. And um, for normal human beings, they don't like the idea of kids getting tear gassed. But they also don't like the idea of people trying to rush our, and jump over the walls of our, of our country, the fences of our country, and um, bum rush our border guards. But that is why I really believe that for the president's base, for the people who put him in office and are likely the people with whom he cannot be reelected, none of this does anything but clarify the issue. And a little tear gas on some people who are doing something they shouldn't be doing is not a problem for him politically at all. Okay, so we're going final, to uh, final question here. Uh, Will there or will there not be a shutdown? And if there will be a shutdown, how long will it be? John Easton. No partial shutdown of the government. Uh, Adam Bellar, what do you think? Yes, and as long as it takes. Uh, I'm with John Easton. No no partial shutdown of the government. Sorry about that. Uh, John Easton, what are you buying or selling today? <clears throat> I'm going to sell because I know everybody's really been waiting for finally a sell because I love to buy. I, mean, I just like buying stuff, especially in the holiday season. But <laughs> I'm selling um, the – you had mentioned earlier, John, that the, uh, the Mueller investigation had ensnared in particular three individuals. And I'm going to sell those individuals for one reason, and that – and I'm talking about Paul Manafort. I'm talking about Roger Stone. I'm talking about Michael Cohen. <laughs> there is a common thread that runs through all three of these individuals. Jokers? They're all scumbags. <laughs> And and they're they're I don't know about them in their in their personal lives so so I'm not going to judge them on their personal lives but everything I've read and known about Manafort in the past and everything I've read about Stone and everything I've read about these guys are just professional scumbags you know the way they've carried themselves the way they've um, you know carried themselves in their career uh, it's not a a surprise that Mueller has has caught them in his net it also doesn't scream collusion with Russia either, which I thought was the the purpose of the Mueller investigation to begin with. So selling those three. I'm selling those three. I just tossed them overboard. Wow, you sure did. And what is, it, is scumbag, is that a technical term? <laughs> is that two words or one oh, word? Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Um, go ahead, Adam Bellmar. Um, I am buying Swedish fish. Swedish fish are an underappreciated candy. Um, they are not keto diet friendly, but they're also not the kind of thing that you give out at Halloween. And so I found at my local CVS that they are in abundance and so that they're on sale. And so I'm buying them. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, buy the memory of my good friend, Ted Vandermeed, who died uh, earlier this year. They had a, uh, a little event for him up on Capitol Hill uh, yesterday morning. Um, they spread his ashes uh, around one of the parks on, uh, on the Capitol grounds. Ted was a friend of mine who worked 
with me in Bob Michael's office, also uh, worked with me in Denny Hastert's office. He was the chief counsel for the speaker when 9-11 happened, and he was really responsible for building, um, supervising the building of the CVC, the uh, Capital Visitor Center, and he did a lot of things to strengthen uh, the protection of, of the people who work in the Capitol. He's also a dear friend, uh, died of uh, pancreatic cancer, which uh, sucks. I hate cancer. I hate pancreatic cancer. But I love Ted, and I miss him, and it was a great uh, moment. And to Ted Vanderbeet, and in your memory, uh, we miss you. Uh, with that, uh, let me just say that uh, thank you for listening to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means? Excellent for business. Yes, baby. Yeah, baby.